Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Smackdown Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dudley Boys, Michael Hamflet from What Culture, to review everything that happened on Friday night's episode of Smackdown. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review Smackdown, but also Raw, NXT 2.0, AW oh. Dynamite, AW Rampage, pay per views. We have interviews, round table discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a really good quiz, of course on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet to review a spooky episode of SmackDown. <laughs> How was it for you? I think spooky about this is I'm scared if there's still still people out there praising it. What a nonsense load of rubbish this episode was. This was a bad episode of the show that I know you enjoy as a bit, saying is the best wrestling show of the week. Second, or is that just switched... I was going to say, is that just switched to NXT now? Yeah. yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, like, it's lost top spot now. Um... A really bad episode. Look, I think that we are sometimes... It, it's, it concerns me genuinely that we are sometimes the low guys on... Uh, by the way, I mean me and Sidgwick, not you. You're very earnest and you praise when you like what you like on SmackDown. But the low guys on 2021 SmackDown. And it was with that in mind that I entered into the spirit of this episode, hoping to be entertained by the, the rich tapestry of the main event angle and its ongoing story with Paul Heyman and Roman Reigns, the fun that WWE brings around All Hallows' Eve with its theming and with its all that sort of nonsense, and just generally with the sense of refreshed vigour that a draft can very occasionally bring. I would say, comprehensively, this failed on all three counts. Mm -hmm. I went in, I did that awful thing that I normally resent people for even suggesting, just enjoy it. I thought, I did there really like full on lately I did go into this Smackdown wanting to just enjoy it and then I just resented for two hours of a very busy weekend being taken up by it bad this was bad now I will say there were elements of this show that I absolutely loved and you know what they were Michael Hamlet all the recap segments because I could just fast forward <laughs> I had to watch this at uh, half past 11 on Sunday night uh, the niece and nephew have been up over the weekend and well I don't know if Either of Dadley's can can relate to any of this, but kids are bloody exhausting. So <laughs> I had no time to watch this or Rampage. I thank Christ there wasn't a dynamite this weekend. That's all I'll say. 
So I sat down to watch this at 11.30, possibly a mixture of the exhaustion that I'm sure you guys feel on a daily basis. There was one segment (laughs) that made me laugh out loud, like a proper guffaw. It's not anything to do with the trick or street fight, spoilers alert, and it's not even anything to do with some decent batter from Xavier, or should I say King Woods and Sir Kofi, although I did enjoy those. It's something we'll get into very quickly. Um, But, oh, yeah, this show is all over the place, and I don't think it helps that. Well, I suppose it was like, eh, it's an FS1 show, so they're not going to try, and there's not going to be Roman Reigns on it, so it's like a one-two punch for that. But let's dive straight into it. Uh, Lots to discuss here. The show opened. Well, you wanted them to get people's attention. Have the show open with Charlotte Flair coming out and uh, very briefly addressing uh, what went down last week. Uh, I believe the commentators maybe said, oh, feisty encounter with the belts. That's one way of describing that and what happened backstage afterwards. Uh, But Charlotte comes down. She says, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Never a truer word, Charlotte, on WWE programming two weeks after a sodding draft. Anyway... No one else can do what she does. She's the face of the division. She's the face of the whole company. She's the most decorated woman in sports entertainment history. She is unbearable. Um, (laughs) She does this, oh, when everyone else wins a title, it's the biggest day of their life. But for me, it's just another Friday. She can't wink, can she, Hamlet? She's one of those people who can't wink. She just does a big old blink. Do you know what? Right, so I can only do it. I can only wink with one eye. I can't wink with the other one. And I am reduced to that of a toddler going, am I doing it? Am I doing it when I try and do it with the other eye? Because they both go down. And I saw that as well. And like my kids like to do that as well when they've been practicing to wink with either eye. And one, Josh, my youngest, he can do both. He's actually better than me. At six years old, he's mastered something that I've never been able to do. And I'm just thinking, well, you're also better than Charlotte at that. Because, oh, God, yeah. It always reminds me there was, um, it's just, Tangents, can we do some tangents? This show is rubbish. Mm-hmm, um, there was a when Big Brother was amazing, when Big Brother was legitimately this awesome social experiment as well as a television show. Whenever anybody winks, I'll just think of this. I just want to share this because I love it. Um, it was so popular by Big Brother 2, they added a load of shoulder programming. So you had Big Brother's little brother for the first yep. time, which was like Big Brother, here's some more. It was the first time you could watch the 24 hour stream. Where it was the talking out- smack of Big Brother. The talking smack of Big Brother, very much. Uh, you could watch the live stream all the time where there'd be like bird noises while they were swearing or saying things that were libelous. Um, you couldn't, like, if you wanted Big Brother, they would give you more and more and more. And on one of the episodes in the week, they would break the clips up with um, like little talking heads from psychologists. Yeah, like analysts. Um, yeah, I remember. Sunday night that was. Yeah, oh, see, we've lived the same life. And um, there was a character... Um, in Big Brother 2, a housemate, I should say, in Big Brother 2 called Stuart. He went quite early. He was quite a controversial figure. He was a proper early elimination housemate in that he caused quite a few fights, had a few big moments, but you knew we're well, not going to win, so you might as well go now. Was like, he the Scottish one? Of- no, he was like this sort of... He had a big fight in Big Brother 2 with a woman called Penny. Like They were screaming at each other. He wore... There was a party once where he would always walk around topless and he got these, like sort of pantherized contact lenses and then sort of growled at the camera a bit like Britt Baker did in Halloween gear and Rampage but just sort of he was like he really likes being Stuart and as part of this obnoxious arrogant very sort of alpha male personality he'd always like be talking to one of the women and then after the conversation he'd do a little win he'd walk away and he'd go like like, like that is that sort of you didn't know if he was joking you didn't know if he was sincere you didn't really know his motivations it was all quite creepy and there was an isolated clip from one of this like the psychologist the analyst uh, Stuart is the biggest winker in the house. <laughs> and that, like, 
I became a running gag to this day between me and some mates. Arm. If we talk about somebody that's a total prick or somebody that's just being awesome, oh, well, he's the biggest one in the house. <laughs> like and every time I see somebody like this struggling to wink. So now Charlotte is the big Charlotte is the biggest winker on SmackDown. Without question. Uh she continues though saying the women here need a real leader, someone to bring out the best in them, and that is Charlotte Flair. And of course, this brings out Sasha Banks. She comes down, she demands a title shot, but Flair says, No, nope, this is a new era. She said she spoke to Sonia Deville earlier, and maybe someone new should get a title shot. Q Shotzi Blackheart or uh, she's better known now, Shotzi. Uh, oh, Banks in amongst all this, said Flair, scared of her. But anyway, Shotzi comes out on her tank. Uh, she says she's never faced Flair. She wants a title shot. The fans are well behind her. Huge Shotzi chant. And uh, Flair accepts. She uh, grants a, what was it, championship opportunity contendership bollocks match. And Shotzi's so happy that she fires off a missile. And then we get the match. <laughs> And you know, Sasha Banks has remained at ringside to cheer on Shotzi throughout the match. And it was there a specific point that Sasha Banks turned babyface, or has it just happened now? I think the babyface heel dynamics are so screwed up in WWE currently that they don't look for the opportunities anymore. They just decide one week based on who Sasha Banks, in this case, does her... Like, that laugh was designed as an evil laugh. It's now yeah. just who she targets it with as to whether or not she's a heel or a babyface. She's fallen into the same pit that Charlotte did about a year ago. Well, bear that in mind as we get towards the end of this match, because the bit that made me laugh out loud is coming. So Shorty actually gets gets in a fair bit of offense and uh, looks pretty strong in this match. Uh, she gets a near fall quite early on off the back of a sunset flip after Flair sort of batting her about a bit. Flair goes to the big boot, but Shotzi Matrix is out of the way in a nice little spot. Flair continuously, you know, trying to fight back, but Shotzi's just unpredictable and not what she's used to. Uh, she hits a springboard hurricane runner off the second rope, gets a near fall. Flair eventually is on the outside. Shotzi goes for a suicide dive, but Flair cuts her off. And then Flair gets into it with Banks at ringside, turns around, and Shotzi again nearly kills herself with a goddamn suicide dive. Uh, Flair caught her, I think, just about in amongst all this. Uh, later on, Flair's on the top rope. Shotzi leaps up. Hurricane Rana gets a great near fall. Uh, Flair, though, is fighting with her on the apron, recovers big boots uh, to Shotzi off the apron, uh, then gets her back in, puts her in the figure fours, trying to transition into the figure eight. She's going for all this, though. Shotzi small packages her for a great near fall there again. Uh, she dodges the boot again, hits a tiger suplex for a two count. Uh, then Flair and Banks are arguing with each other. Flair's jumped up, oh, sorry, Banks has jumped up on the apron. As Shotzi runs at Flair, Flair moves. There's almost a coming together between the two of them, but they stop themselves. But that momentary distraction allows Flair to hit the natural selection. One, two, three. And I watched that and I thought, before I get your thoughts, I thought, wow. Well, Charlotte Flair won and there was a bit of a, you know, schmoz and a dodgy ending to this. But hey, one thing we've said for a while is WWE can't book baby faces not saying their books are particularly well here and they certainly can't make baby faces but despite the loss fans are cheering for her they love shotzi blackheart so what happened <laughs> immediately after the match i genuinely went back like this as it happened <laughs> banks tries to help her up shotzi pushes away and i think you know what fair enough she's frustrated with what's happened but no shotzi just explodes batters sasha banks chucks her around ringside throws her into the tank and then hits that was it called the ball pit Whatever it yeah. is, the sent on uh, onto a prone Banks uh, and sort of, I think you said on Twitter, Hamlet, 
tries to go for a pinfall for a split second. Then yeah, remember she she's just doing a beat down. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just the welcome to the ball pit bollocks or whatever it is to close mm. this segment off. This was a this was a clusterfuck, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it certainly was, mate. Um, I. We'll, I will do this backwards, I guess, um, because that's how WWE have booked this. Um, Shotzi's turn. You're so right to highlight the how the audience were behind Shotzi. This, oh, I thought the whole thing in. Who cares? It wasn't a fabulous match, but it no. was good enough for good enough for government work, as you sometimes hear, which is to say that Charlotte was needing something to re-establish credibility after last week's disaster. Um, Sasha Banks needed to be present in the situation to be to remind us all that she's the baby face in this feud with Charlotte. Now she was there as sort of a an earnest enough coach of Shotzi, and Shotzi could have fallen without turning, and there would have been no damage done. She's not really. I know that her and no, uh, Knox had the tag team title match they never got. Yeah, and I'd love that if that came up in in the explanation of the turn next week. By the way, I was sick of being screwed by WWE. <laughs> we never got our title shot when she inevitably batters uh, Knox to confirm the heel turn next week. She's like she'll she'll deck her backstage or something. But yeah, the fans were at very least with Shotzi, and much of that came through just how we've praised this on NXT before. Shotzi is reckless and it can be to the detriment of the match, mm-hmm. but she brings such an energy with her that she pulls it back around again. Yeah. So there was a couple of times here where the timing was off and things were a little bit sloppy, but it's nothing we've never seen before. And sure enough, as you're heading towards a finish and this hope spot for Shotzi, the fans are coming up and up and up and up. And then Charlotte puts her away. And as you say, no shame really in losing to the tenured veteran that Charlotte Flair is on this night because she's put in a commendable display and then it's maybe back to the drawing board and it's remembered that oh, I got you that one time. I nearly got you that one time. Maybe I'll get you again the next time. NXT did, did this with her to great effect when she eliminated Shayna Baszler from that battle yeah. royal. They went back to Shotty months later and be like, look, she's always been there or thereabouts, but she's the kind of wrestler that you can sometimes take for granted. And I really like that about how NXT presented her. And instead they just rushed through every detail of the story here and we, and we got the turn. Um, I can only assume what's worse about the timing of this um, is that ultimately Sasha or Charlotte, I guess, to, one of them is to win the, uh, the SmackDown Women's title ahead of the Becky Lynch match. Whoever it is, it doesn't really matter. We've now got Shotzi as a heel on SmackDown that will probably have to team with some baby faces. Like the first job of the new heel who wears bright green and has bright green hair is to wear a blue T-shirt and have to sidle up to baby faces. So the timing of this turn couldn't really be worse because that's what she's now got. She's got to be presented as somebody that's so angry that she's turned on Sasha Banks and now she might have to team with her at Survivor Mm. Series or team with Charlotte or team with Knox or team with whoever. And it's the worst position for a character like hers to be in. The Howell suddenly didn't feel authentic. It felt like, again, like I pulled up the pinfall attempt and that's what I think it was. Not to particularly have a go at Shotzi, but to just have a go at WWE making everybody into an automaton. The pinfall looked like it was because that's just how her head goes. I do the move, I do the pin, I do the howl. We get out of there. It's because you just imagine them doing reps of this stuff over and over and over and again. Do the move, find the hard camera, roll them up, do the howl, find the hard camera, look at your hands, get on out of here. It just <laughs> felt like I was I was watching that happen on television when I was supposed to be being asked to think, oh, what's going through Shotty's head? Why is she, why is she snapped on Sasha? It just didn't, it didn't translate. And by the sound of the noise that the crowd were making, they've probably lost something in it as well. 
it's it's ultimately you got to try these things sometimes. But this one is already, and like I'm not just trying to be one of those whinges on a podcast saying, "Oh, do it nice one, do it you've blown it again." But let's just call this one like a noble misfire because it it did feel within the body of the match that fans were just ready to enjoy Shotzi pretty much as they have done the entire time she's been around. Like you say, it just felt so rushed. It's like, right, well, I've had my shot bollocks to you sort of thing. It's like, mm. we've barely got to know this person. Certainly as a singles wrestler. This has only just come out. And now she comes out in a tank and people are going to boo her. I don't know what bloody hell's going on. Anyway. The tank is, I mean, sh- like, surely you cannot come out on a, in, a, in that tank as a heel. With your helmet. <sighs> maybe maybe she'll do the Bailey thing and take a bloody axe to it or something. <laughs> Push it off the stage. Uh, right, we go backstage and Hey, Kyla! She's there with uh, Jeff Hardy, welcoming back to SmackDown. Uh, she says, what are you most looking forward to? And he says, look, I want to make new friends. I want to face new opponents. Maybe even challenge for a title I've never challenged before. And in come Happy Corbin and Madcap Moss. And uh, he talks to Paul Corbin, previews this trick-or-street fight thing with Nakamura and Boogs. And uh, to be fair... Madcap Moss saves the segment with a great joke about witches not having kids because their boyfriends have got Halloweenies. <laughs> I mean, you are wacky Wilborn, and your delivery was better than Madcap Moss's, but the joke was still a total disaster. And then they just go back to Hardy. He goes, "Yep, so nice to be back on SmackDown." <laughs> <laughs> like this was it? Was he in character there or not? Was he just like? Did he think the cameras had stopped rolling? Yeah, I don't know. I never know with these sorts of things. Oh, just oh. like it's, it's like presumably like you two, like oh right, I feel refreshed. I feel good. I had a nice week off with the kids. In you, in you walk into the office. It's a fresh start today, Michael. In you come. There's me. Hey, welcome back, Daddy Boys. Half my week is already ruined. Uh, never, never, Wilborn, never. Certainly not. If there was, if it had to come between one or two things that I would rather see on a Monday morning, it would be you over Madcap Moss a hundred times out of a hundred. Believe me. Um, then we get a recap, a long recap. This I saved loads of time here of uh, Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns <laughs> and everything that happened, and Lesnar attacking Postman Pierce, and then Postman Pierce is on this Zoom call. And uh, he says, I'm not going to allow anyone to, to disrespect me, disrespect this brand, et cetera, et cetera. He said, not only is Brock Lesnar suspended, but I'm fining him $1 million. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love it when they make these random amounts up. This is it, right? This is it. We, you don't deal strictly in money in wrestling. We've talked about this before. So they... They've never gone to the trouble, other than, I guess, with the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase. We know he had millions. They never go to the trouble of, and nor should they, like wrestlers are fighting over a big gold belt, not over cash values. But they never really describe in detail how much the wrestlers earn Mm. or what is a lot of money to a certain wrestler. Just because we know Brock to be loaded and live on a farm in the back of beyond somewhere and not really have need for all this disposable income. It doesn't mean that we can feel much off the back of him being fi- like being fined a million dollars. If anything, because of what we know about Brock, that sort of feels a bit too generous. Mm. You've got to do these things. You've got to do these things relative to the people involved. Um, back in the days of Baron Corbin's poverty stricken few weeks, few months, whatever it was, imagine then, um, him being fined, say, $1,000 a 
when he didn't have a pot to piss in, then you could contextualize that. And it would make you would draw sympathy if that was what you were trying to do. Because like, oh, he's not got enough to wipe the soup off his collar. And yet he's now getting a thousand dollars taken out of his pocket by an authority figure. Like we don't know what a million dollars is to Brock Lesnar. We don't have a, a sliding scale of cash punishments. Maybe we do. And maybe I'll do some digging and try and write a list out of this. But I don't feel like when you think about the various other fines that have been levied to WWE wrestlers over the years, that there's any sort of league table or rationale for why somebody gets fined a certain amount. And I think that's why this didn't particularly land. The the only time I'm ever shocked or intrigued or, you know, have any emotional reaction to WWE fines is when it's the real ones, like the kayfabe mm. ones. You could say he's been fined a thousand dollars or $10 million. And I'd be think, oh, cool. I mean, I just, I know as a fan, uh, he's not going to be a Survivor Series. So we get rid of him for a bit. So we're going to suspend him and find him money. <laughs> like, yeah. it's totally pointless. But when I find out, like, oh, yeah, when, I don't know, Batista bladed in a cage match, they find him a quarter of a million dollars. And I'm like, they did what? That's a bit much, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, that's exactly it. Because there's got to be reality attached to it to for it to resonate. Did you ever play, um, when you were younger, did you ever play the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire um, PlayStation game? Yes. I'm not talking about the one. I'm talking about the ones you would get in pubs on the quiz machine, the actual PlayStation game. They got to the trouble of making this rubbish um, animated Chris Tarrant and you had the questions come up and you played it once thinking, oh, this is going to be great. It's just like when I was on the telly. And then you realise there's zero drama attached because you just gamble every time. Yeah. You're not going to on a game say, do you know what, Chris? I've had a, I've had a great day today. I've got my £64,000. I, I don't know. And ultimately, wife and kids back home. You yeah. Know, we're looking to move out. Promised them Disney World. Um, they, they, they'd kill me if I went home or nothing. So I'm going to take the money and then turn the console off and go to bed. <laughs> like rubbing your hands and going, I made a good call there. Yeah. Really looking forward to uh, ringing the folks tomorrow and telling them I've won big on the PlayStation fictional. I'm going to save this checkpoint and then I'm going to get my encyclopedia out and see if I can read <laughs> yeah. the answer to go back to it. Won't need this. Football managers save one million. Won't need this. Yeah, don't won't need this GTA save. Delete that so he can make make space for Chris in Tarrant. It's like the Tarrant things. Like, would you like to ask the audience? You better believe it. You fucking mug. I'm going on Google, pal. What are you gonna do about <laughs> uh, The only good thing about all this, and I'm going to be one of the only good things about this show. Paul Heyman is backstage smirking mm. as he watches this announcement from Postman Pierce. Kayla comes up to him, of course. They do their back and forth. Uh, she, he's amazed she's still got a job. Um, and he says, oh, well, Roman Reigns, if he was suspended, he wouldn't care. He'd just show up and smash people. But he doesn't have to worry about that because Roman already beat Lesnar. And then she says, yeah, but what would what's going to happen with Lesnar here? Sort of butters him up a little bit. And then he's... he's forgets where he is for a split second and he slips into old Paul Heyman, Brock's Paul Heyman. He says, well, Lesnar would show up. This is Brock Lesnar. He'd wreck everyone. He'd wreck Postman Pierce. He bangs on and he's getting really into the bit and then suddenly realises where he is, what he's doing. And then the fact there's a bloody camera pointed at him. And then uh, he says, oh, I haven't spoken to Brock Lesnar and walks off. I thought this was yet again sensational from Paul Heyman. Really, really good. Really good. The... um. <clears throat> The big angle in SmackDown that they've been able to preserve almost doesn't belong on WWE television at the moment. It's so good. I don't know how um, Paul Heyman and Kayla Braxton's chemistry has become so infectious, but mm. like shout out to them as well. Did you see Kayla Braxton's Halloween outfit as Paul Heyman on the bump, by the way? No. <laughs> uh, like, And I recommend everybody go and have a look at this. She dressed up as Paul Heyman uh, for an episode of The Bump. And she, like, I saw this through a, a Twitter video 
of her pretending to be him on a phone call. And then she spends the rest of the episode dressed as him. Full suit, um, a bald wig, I think, and a prosthetic chin that looked like it was intentionally, well, let's just say prosthetic chins. Um, <laughs> it, felt, it felt as if Vince McMahon himself wanted to craft a bow selector version of Paul Heyman. Um, <clears throat> but it's really great, like it genuinely, and you can see it's been done with real affection as well. So like, go and have a look at that if you can. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I've just found it. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's like, I love them too. I love this story. Um, and I, I love that they've managed to preserve it. Look, if this is going to be a WrestleMania headline match, which WWE seem content to, to persevere with it as one, is the drama of this still not in hit? Which side Heyman is on? Right, yeah. I've, I've totally lost you with this costume, haven't I? I'm sorry. Sorry, yeah, if you heard a noise there, it's because I just pressed play on the video from the bump. I love the fact that they've gone... Oh, the Kayla's gone, I want to dress up as Paul Heyman. And they're like, oh, cool. Do you want some like cushions to push up your jumper to make you? You've got a big dummy, hasn't he? No offense, Paul Heyman. She's like, no, no, no. I'll just, I'll just wear a suit. Like, okay, cool. We're a big old chin. <laughs> so many chins in there. Biggest chin. It is the yeah. most electric embarrassment. is spot on. <laughs> I thought, when I saw the image, I thought, ah, that's like someone's mock-up. Because it looks like a police, you know, and like, okay, what did the robber's chin look like? Oh, I look like that chin. Yeah. What did his nose look like? It looked like that. And they put together and you go, no one has ever looked like that before in their life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, um, fair play to them too. Their relationship is good. And Paul Heyman is the interesting element of another Lesnar Reigns match, isn't he? So they're mm-hmm. probably going to try and drag us out to WrestleMania if they can. Yeah. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Uh, let's move on because Drew McIntyre's open challenge was next. He came out and he said, I'm in an ass-kicking mood. Uh, they don't want open mic night, open challenges. They're another matter, though. Everyone wants to see this. He says, anyone in the back who's got the cojones, effectively, step out and fight him. Out comes Mustafa Ali. And uh, he mocks Drew. He says, oh, yeah, you're just a big 
big burly bastard. I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you. I'm quicker than you. I've got more athleticism in my pinky finger than your entire body. He puts himself over, basically, uh, and announces he's going to be the one to beat Drew McIntyre tonight. For the brief match that they had, really enjoyed this. That was a really interesting dynamic, uh, particularly, and I've seen uh, numerous people get thrown across the ring, but I don't know why, but Drew and Ali made it look boy popping all over again. He threw him the entire length of the ring and, you know, no Michael Cole hyperbole could could put a dampener on this for me. Uh, Ali's trying to fight back. Drew McIntyre's just chopping the crap out of him. Uh, he hits a neck breaker and you think, oh, great, that's that over there. And goes for the Claymore, but Ali dodges it. Uh, he goes for a 450, um, misses it, and then gets out of the way of the Claymore again. And then out of nowhere, Drew McIntyre, who's been watching some Brian Danielson in AEW and realised he needs to establish some more finishers, he puts the Kimura on Mustafa Ali to get the submission victory post-match uh, as they're trying to move on to King Wood's stuff. Uh, Ali gets on the mic and says, oh, you're only booing me and cheering for McIntyre because my name is Mustafa Ali. And they're probably partially right, <laughs> but still... Um, what did you make of this match for, for the two minutes that it was? I thought it was great. Well, yeah. Miss Farley is cutting that promo on Vince McMahon and Bruce Pritchard, which is fitting as they're the ones scripting it. It's it, This is some Inception stuff, this, because, you know... Mustafa Ali, the real person, knows full well that the fans aren't booing him for that reason. And he knows full well that half the time they're not even booing him. <clears throat> but what are we doing here, doing that nonsense? Um, I, I wish that wasn't the only... like. I, ultimately, I wish that... I was going to say the only angle that they could come up with from Mustafa Ali. That's not the case. I wish that wasn't what they went to when they feel like every other option has been exhausted. Like, in their I'm minds, they will feel... Gimmicks in the last six months. Leader of yeah, and they will... Hacker... Best friend of Mansoor, biggest enemy of Mansoor, and now just and the worst thing is heel challenger. They will frame that as that he has like fumbled his opportunities. Yeah. Like, look, we tried this, we tried this, we tried this. It's not working. You're not clicking. We're going to have to go back to what we know, which is uh, xenophobia, which is looking to bring out the very worst emotional response in some of the very worst people, and nobody. Nobody gets to win. Nobody feels good. This doesn't put smiles on faces or anything yeah. like that. So I was just left feeling hugely sympathetic when, once you cut that promo, especially because, as you pointed out, for only a few minutes, the match was really entertaining. Um, they were. This was a maximise your minutes TV fair thing. Uh, Drew McIntyre having a new submission finisher. You know, you call upon Brian Danielson, but it is actually a really cool device. Um, AW it, from yeah. the very beginning. Yeah, AEW from the very beginning have been big on their top stars, having multiple ways to put a guy away. And I'm all for Drew having a bit more than just a like a 3-2-1 Claymore because he's an ex-world champion. He's a guy that's that has told us enough times, let us remember, that he got sacked from this place and he went everywhere and learned, learned a new trade and all this sort of stuff. Like, he's supposed to be this complete pro wrestler. That's the guy that came back to WWE. So why not show off what he can do? Um, I, it's, I, I, I felt really sad. For Mustafar Ali here because you feel like you know where all this is going. Nowhere good. Um, and there were surely other people to do this Drew McIntyre welcome to SmackDown squash tour with than him. Yeah, without question. Uh, yeah, bloody Drew Gulak knocking him out with the goobers later. Just send him out there mm. if you're going to job someone out in two minutes. Uh, as much as I love Drew Gulak, he's clearly not in their plans right now. So a loss there wouldn't hurt him. Whereas I feel like Mustafar Ali could take it and be like, oh, you know, 
that man saw may have got one over on me, but I'm going to, I don't know, have a feud with Jeff Hardy. That could be fun. But now they're going to have to do it with the eyes of that being on it, being like, oh, he's the foreign menace. And uh, mm. anyway, uh, another recap. Great. More time to catch up for me. They <laughs> go through the coronation from last week and then King Woods and Kofi Kingston meet Hit Row backstage and he congratulates Hit Row on their arrival on SmackDown. And uh, they're loving the fact that they're in the presence of royalty. They do the whole we're not worthy thing. And uh, then Kofi asks them to, to spit some fire, wrap some bars, whatever he says, for their king. And they do king words. And then, oh, God, Pat McAfee said, sang it a bit back and it sounded horrible uh, when we come back. <laughs> and then we get a little vignette for Zia Lee's uh, upcoming debut. Nothing really to say about that, Hamlet. So let's move on instead to the... The coronation, sorry, the knighting of Sir Kofi. Look, it's Woods and Kingston with a live mic out there, just having a bit of fun. They're great. Uh, Kingston introduces King Woods. They've got this lovely new attire that they've clearly worked on. Uh, There's a Hail King Woods chant. He talks about winning the King of the Ring tournament again, his coronation the previous week, another You Deserve It chant out of nowhere, which uh, sort of surprised them. And uh, Xavier says, yeah, I do, actually. Thanks very much. Um, (laughs) So he gets Kingston to take a knee. He knights him, Sir Kofi, and he declares that Kingston is the hand of the king. There's a Sir Kofi chance that goes around. And out of nowhere, they're interrupted, damn you, by the Usos who steal from the rock. He used to do, whoa, 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 Mm. whoa, whoa. Anyway, they say, this might as well be the bloody bloodline show. We are the ones uh, and take the piss out of the clothing of of Xavier and Kofi. Xavier and Kofi say, well, you haven't changed your stuff since 2018. And then I did like, this was something that was clearly like, oh, you'll say this and then they'll say this. And they just, they just, they've worked together so long. They're so great together. They're like, no, 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 new merch, new merch. It's available right now. I I like that. (laughs) And uh, they threaten, Jimmy threatened to kick the crown off Woods' head. And Woods announces after he insists for silence in front of his, in front of their king, he announces a trial by combat. This is what they need to do with King Woods. Maybe not with the Usos all the time. We've seen a lot of the New Day and the Usos. And if they're not going to fight with the titles on the line. Uh, but what did you make of it? Yeah, this was the sort of thing where on a good show or even a half decent one, you'd be really generous to a segment like this because of just because of all the stuff you pointed out. The, the chemistry between the two teams is undeniable. It always has been. Um, Woods and Kingston are a total laugh and a total riot in this role. And they're going to have as much fun with it as they possibly can before all the jokes are beaten into the ground and before the look stops being a novelty. And like the, all of these things, it's all they're all like they're all. It sounds like faint praise, but the reason the praise is faint is because they're all like periphery. They're all sort of peripheral to the to the main crux of all of this, which is ah, oh, you're giving us the new day in the ESOs, and you're trying to tell us it's a main event when you know full well that these gimmicks are showing us that it's a mid card match. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the other thing about this. Again, on a half decent show or on a show that otherwise knocked it out of the park, you'd be like, oh well, like everything else is going so awesome here that fine, new day ESOs in the main event it is. But this show is dragging its ass. It's been really boring. There's not a feeling of momentum or energy about SmackDown in general at the moment. And the idea that this was what they had. Look, it's faith internally that these four can carry an in-ring, uh, can carry a main event from an in-ring point of view. 
but this didn't ask us as viewers to be along for the ride at all no. for me. This just told us that they're kind of old rivals farting about a bit and, you know, maybe they'll have a match at some point. And then instead that maybe they'll have a match became the thing you were going to close this broadcast with. And the two things just felt worlds apart. Yeah, I love them. I have no doubt that when they get given the opportunity, they can steal the show with a tag team title match. Um, but this felt very much like an FS1 main event when you're not going head to head to head with Rampage. That's what, that's what I was Totally. Saying. Like, this is it. We're kind of like, I'll, I'll be one of the first to criticise the um, the Saturday Night Dynamites when I feel like AEW uh, going intentionally low effort almost. They're having, to, they're mm-hmm. having to save things or they're pulling back on things. With WWE, you don't notice it half the time because if you use that defence, that would cover three quarters of every Raw and SmackDown review yeah. we do. Like, so you can't say, uh, like, like that, that you forget about the FS1 element because you're like, oh, come on, dude, why are you being so low energy? It's like, well, you were last week when it was on Fox, or, you know, the week before, whenever it was, it was on Fox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so hard to differentiate between the two that you still just review this as your standard issue episode of SmackDown and it doesn't feel enough. Uh, we get a raw rebound, more time to be saved here, and then we get the <laughs> trick or street fight match. Uh, it is Shinsuke Nakamura and Rick Boogs versus Happy Corbin and Mad Cat Moss. Early on, the baby races actually have the advantage. They isolate Mad Cat Moss and beat him down, and they do the Shinsuke foot on the chest in the corner thing. Boogs goes to play his guitar, but then suddenly Corbin attacks him with a uh, candy cane kendo stick or whatever they were called, and Corbin beats down Boogs, and in the midst of all this 24-7 championship bollocks happens. Well, nothing happens. Reginald does some flips, runs through and runs back. And uh, Pat McAfee says, was that Drew Gulak? And I think, oh, you poor bastard. <laughs> so then uh, Mad Cat Moss is trying to dunk Rick Boogs' head into the big vat of apples there for apple bobbing. Um, but Boogs reverses it, and uh, with the help of a Shinsuke Nakamura shot with the uh, kendo stick, Dunks Mad Cat Moss, who comes out holding an apple in his mouth. Lovely little bit of a moment there where it spits out and he catches it. And then they all, they, Pat McAvee, Boogs and Nakamura all have an apple. How do you like them apples? All that sort of thing. Um, later on, the fans are chanting for a pumpkins and Corbin grabs one and then just puts it down to the ire of the fans in amongst all this as well. Nakamura kicks Corbin and sends candy flying into the audience. Um Heels are beating down Nakamura. Boogs fires back, though. Uh, he comes in. He uses the pumpkins to the crowd's delight, uses all the Halloween decorations bollocks to run wild. Uh, and him and Nakamura just start twatting the other two with kendo sticks. Uh, Nakamura sets up for the Kinshasa on uh, Happy Corbin. But then Moss grabs one of the pumpkins, plonks it on his head, and uh, they fight around ringside, Nakamura and Corbin, over the barricade. It leaves Boogs. Uh, looking like he's about to hit a huge finisher on Madcap Moss. They've had this big power game going on. Tell that they like these two. Uh, and then two guys in Halloween costumes come up and twat Boogs with kendo sticks. Uh, that allows Moss to his finisher and get the victory for the team. Post-match, it's revealed that it's the handsome bastard. You don't need to wear masks. You're too bloody handsome. Umberto Carrillo and Angel Garza are the ones who attacked Boogs and cost him the match. What did you make of the Halloween trickled street fight bollocks? Look, it was Halloween on Sunday. So I'm not such a miserable bastard to not understand why you would want to run a spooky themed match on a Friday. I'm just jealous that you and Sidgwick get to talk about it because that was on Rampage and this was this. <laughs> um, what, 
my problem with this match was uh, is that it wasn't so funny that the constant laughter they were leaving breaks in for could fill the gaps. Like the spots that with pumpkins on heads and things. We've seen this so many years in a row at this point. The, the only laugh that this would, like the only big laugh that this could be expected to get would be the one that Corbin does whenever Moss tells a joke mm-hmm. or the one that Tony Atlas used to do when he was the, the guy for the Abraham Washington show. Oh, I love that. Like it's that kind of over-egged, exaggerated laugh that these spots require. And absolutely nobody, the crowd seemingly included it because they were like really quite quiet for a lot of this. Nobody had the energy for it. Mm. Um, I don't particularly hold that against the wrestlers. This was objectively a dull match with props, not least because of the fact that we've seen Naka. We've we literally complained about Naka and Nakamura and Corbin fighting teams on last week's podcast. Yeah, like there, and here they are again doing this, and it just felt like the same match, the Halloween trick or treat fight, whatever. The same match supplanted over four guys after it was used on like everybody. Like we've had Dolph Ziggler with a pumpkin on his head. We've had Bobby Roode with a pumpkin on his head. Everybody's had a pumpkin on their head. Move on. Like there's, there comes a time when it just feels like, oh, who's getting a pumpkin on their head on SmackDown? Like it's going to be one of our questions in next year's preview. <laughs> yeah. Who's getting a pumpkin on their head? Like, because this is where this match goes. And that's, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to be this miserable guy. If you've never watched one of these before, if this was your first Halloween Smackdown, if you listen to this podcast, by the way, and you found wrestling and have engaged in it anyway because of us, thank you. Um, but if, as a result, this is your first ever Smackdown, I hope that you were pissing yourselves at the Halloween theme spots, the apple bobbin and the pumpkins and things like that, because this is a first, and everyone, every, you never forget your first. And, you know, that's what this <laughs> that's what this was for somebody out there. And I'm envious of them, because otherwise it's felt like I've seen it. What I didn't hate, genuinely, was the attempt now to channel... Um, Nakamura and Boogs off in a different direction from Corbin and Moss in the form of the Handsome Bastards. Yes, it's, a first, it's a first feud for them two on SmackDown. It's a way that they can say, look, we wanted to make an impact. Two weeks we were on SmackDown and we couldn't get on the show and yet you clowns were messing around in a Halloween costume contest. We're here to make an impact. Blah, 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 and you're after that. Like, I don't hate that. Mm. It's a bit boilerplate and a bit basic, but I genuinely don't hate it. And they've they've done it on night one. They're going to set up something on night two. We'll be bored of the uh, matches by week three, four, five, six, and seven. But this is the point, like in terms of a launch pad for a couple of characters that were going nowhere. Like I didn't hate that, but the match cry was like 10 minutes or something. Like yeah. too long as well for the same joke we've heard every year for the past 50, it feels like. Sorry, everyone. I, I really, yeah. I feel like I'm pissing on people's chips with this, but like, sorry, this was no. I, I, I just genuinely stunned when the, when the crowd like, yes, get to the pumpkin spots. <laughs> Is that yeah? Maybe it's me. Maybe maybe you do what? Maybe if I was live there in person, six pints deep. Actually, what am I saying? If I was there like in person, oh. six pints deep, I'd be yeah, I'd be clamoring. Yeah. Any uh, any pumpkin carving in the Hamlet household this weekend? Uh, yes, but absolutely not by me because I am abysmal at it. Uh, partly because I don't want the pumpkins to look terrible, also because my ego and vanity can't take myself looking pathetically weak trying to uh, carve it. It's really hard, isn't it, doing a pumpkin? Yeah. Like my wife does a great job with the pumpkins. She did one for one of my sons who wanted your traditional like spooky face, mm. and then she did another for another one of my sons who wanted like yeah, you know, like a cat sat on a moon carved into the front of the pumpkin Jeez. rather than a face. And I'm like, she's pretty good at all that sort of stuff. Um, I, however, am a complete failure at it. At best, I will keep the innards and uh, try and make a make a soup, or I like as the rest of the one, make a stew out of that. Like I've just got these 
piles of innards that haven't touched the newspaper you have to throw it on they can go in a nice pot yeah. and we'll have their oh um, i've heard this is more this is more of sidrick's brand this but i've heard that pumpkin goes quite nicely in a curry so maybe on maybe yeah. for your for your rampage review later on when you get to the halloween theme stuff quiz him on if he's ever made a pumpkin quiz him right he won't listen to this by the time that you two are recording so ask him about pumpkin curry and he says oh no like, i don't know that one he says oh it's funny because uh hamlet's cooked one he'll fall off his chair in shock he's like are you sure you just didn't make it with oven chips no i thought you made it a pumpkin curry. It was a pumpkin flavored pot noodle. No, no, he made a curry. He's fine. Sorry, you said pumpkin crisps. No, no, definitely pumpkin curry. Uh, right. So we get Sonia Deville getting interviewed backstage. She completely flat out denies stacking the deck against Naomi. And then I, I don't know if this was deliberate or not, but it sort of works quite well. Sami Zayn comes in to say, Oh, yeah. Sonia, I've, I've been looking for you. I want to have a little bit of a chat with you about, you know, having me on this brand and what, you know, what we can do going forward, Survivor Series. Round. Cuts out. Before you can say anything, <laughs> it's in Hermes entrance. I hope it was accidental and they worked it in because it does sort of chime pretty, pretty well with his conspiracy theory that they just go, get him off screen. Get him off screen. <laughs> yeah. I sense it was an accident, but no insane. He'll make it into something that yeah, feels like it was intended all along. Really. Exactly. He'll make some chicken salad out of whatever that was. Uh, or it was intended. He'll make, some, he'll make some pumpkin curry out of some pumpkin innards. Yeah. Or it was intentional, in which case it was actually some very nice... Yeah, type of stuff from yeah. WWE. Give them credit when they when they do stuff. Although I don't know if it was or not. Uh, what came next was the redemption match for Naomi against Shayna Baszler. No handicap, none of that. One on one. So Naomi comes out, big entrance. Out comes Shayna, and then they stood there, and Shayna's yelling, "Where's the bloody referee?" Sonya Deville walks out and says, "Sorry, um, bit of a problem. The referee who was going to referee this match." preposterous is this not even a week to think about it if you want to say that it was genuinely accidental the referee was meant to ref this match uh got injured by getting murdered by brock lesnar so i suppose i'll have a go got a referee shirt knocking about they have and it perfectly fits on you deville and it's the special guest referee nonsense but done in about a minute and a half um Naomi gets some offense in when it's just one-on-one. She can, you know, hold her own against a Shayna Baszler. Hurricane Rana there um, gets on the apron, but Sonya Deville distracts her. Uh, that allows Baszler to get some stuff in. And Naomi kicks Shayna Baszler, goes to springboard in the ring, but unfortunately slips off, falls, but recovers and hits a move against Baszler. Hits an Integuri, I think it was, uh, against her regardless. Goes for the pin, but... Deville either doesn't count or does the slowest count ever. And then the moment Shayna Baszler reverses, one, two, three, quick count. Shayna Baszler wins. Naomi's furious. She gets in Deville's face. Uh, but Shayna Baszler puts the Kirifuda clutch on her again and she uh, takes her out of the game, basically. She's screwed again, Amplet. Yeah, I hate what I'm watching. So instead, I want to talk about what I want to happen instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can judge WWE on their failure to deliver on my fantasy booking instead of whatever nonsense this is. All right. Mm-hmm. So here's where I think this is going because I thought this was useless and I thought Naomi's uh, comments after the match didn't feel particularly... Um, I, don't, I just didn't believe him. Yeah, I'll, I'll give up the corporate Naomi. side of things, I'm ready and waiting and I'll have a match with Shayna Baszler whenever she wants it as well. Yeah, well, you just did. <laughs> if, yeah. like, if you could have got in there before Sonya Deville, like, you know, kind of gamed it against you, then you would have done it. I, I, I hate this. So I'm just I'm going to try and use something that happened on this show I'm going to use WWE's own writing Ooh. to form the remainder of this storyline in a way that might actually be satisfying. Okay. Okay. Sonny Deville is going to continue to do this, pull these tricks, and then eventually Naomi is going to snap. She is going to absolutely 
batter, and I mean batter, out on a stretcher, Sonia Deville. Sonia Deville's not going to be feeling any glow. She's going to be feeling like she's got to go because, like, <laughs> Naomi's going to have left her in a pool of her own blood the whole deal. We've never... Commentators Commentators are even too shocked to say, oh, like, this is Naomi finally getting some revenge. They're just appalled at the level of this attack, the nature of this. Sonia Deville, it's, it's discussed in the week that she could be gone from WWE for months as a result of the severity of this attack. And then on SmackDown, she appears via satellite, obviously, in a hospital bed, whatever, convalescing. You ready for this? She finds Naomi $1 million, which is then paid for by yes. Paul Heyman. Yes. He laughs off $1 million fines. And why does he laugh off $1 million fines? Because that gets Roman thinking, did you pay Brock's as well, did you? Oh. And then Naomi's in the bloodline. Roman and Heyman have got some little more teasing between them because it's Heyman just pulling million dollar fines out of his ass. If he's done it for Naomi, who else has he done it for? You've got to ask the big questions. And it turns out that all of that stuff earlier in the night was LTS mother in T. Yes. That's there more better than what they did. Yeah, this is bollocks. And uh, it filled two minutes and it's still... The only thing I remember from this match was the botch. So, to remove, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was that was like really not ideal for the story to tell either, was it? Um, like, oh, maybe maybe Bill's right. <laughs> yeah, New Day versus Usos main event non-title. Uh, I did like um, Xavier's. It's now time for us to dole out our first royal ass whipping. Nice line that from from Woods. Mm-hmm. Um, look, we've seen these wrestle a lot, so I'm not going to go into too much detail in this match. When will Kofi Kingston learn to stop doing the trust fall against the Usos? They catch him <laughs> every time, and then they hoy him over the barricade. This time it was into the timekeeper's area. So it allows the Usos to take control. Uh, eventually, eventually uh, as we come back from the break, Kingston fires back, hits a standing double foot stomp and gets towards who comes in and runs wild and looks great doing it. Uh, gets Jimmy with a side rush and leg sweep, just chops the crap out of him as well, and he's up against the ropes. Uh, Woods gets caught, though, by Jay. Pop-up neck breaker gets him a near fall. Uh, then they are trading forearms. And then Jimmy comes in and hits a pop-up Samoan drop for a near fall. Double super kick for another great near fall in there. The Usos set up for the double splash on Kofi Kingston. This is now, uh, but Woods pulls Jay off of his turnbuckle. Uh, This distracts Jimmy by the time Jimmy makes the jump in. Kingston's got the knees up. Jimmy recovers, though, hits a super kick on Kingston, but Kingston staggers to his corner. Woods blind tags in. Before Jimmy can realise what on earth's going on, he gets rolled up by the King to get the victory for their team. Hey, it was bog-standard Usos versus New Day stuff, this, with an added sprinkle of, let's give Woods a bit of shine here because he's the bloody King. And if this leads to a tag team title match down the line, you know what? I'm all right with it. I love the sentence, rolled up by the king. <laughs> how yes. much power How much power can you really have over the over your kingdom if you're winning matches by roll-ups? <laughs> I love it. Is the winner the king? I guess we'll never know. Um, aye, this, uh, you, I know that you were meaning this in a complimentary fashion at the start of your recap when you said, you know, we've seen this a lot of times, so I don't think I need to go over all the details. That ultimately became the overarching feeling of this match. And I think that's why for the first time ever, maybe, an Usos New Day match felt like it didn't belong in a higher spot on the card than it Mm. did. I I was there once upon a time campaigning for them to be moved onto a main card when it seemed to me a crime that they were put on the SummerSlam 2017 pre-show. And they were given that like blisteringly good Hell in a Cell opener, I think a month or two months later, 
because it was richly deserved as well. So I'm not here to go back on that particularly all these years later. Um, but the teams just aren't in a position at the moment to be in a headliner spot without... What this match needed, ultimately, was the actual headliner, Roman Reigns, and he wasn't there. Yeah. He sits at ringside and watches this, and all of a sudden this feels like it belongs in the main event, and that, ruthlessly, is the difference between a top star and, and everyone else in the mid-card, yeah. and that was ultimately what hung over all of this. I, the work was perfectly good. I love... Um, the trustful observation is a great one, because they're the last people you should trust and should know this by now. Um, <laughs> So it's great. It's there's a lot to enjoy um, about New Day News having matches because they really like the details, um, and they I love as well. Generally speaking, when these four, or obviously with Biggie included, these teams meet up, what you tend to get is a really thrilling breakdown right before the finish. You know, where you get to the point where everybody's hitting everything, and there's like tags are thrown out the window, and you just get everybody flying in because everybody trusts everybody and every people backstage have said, well, can I do this? Yeah. Well, can I do this? And yeah. Well, can I counter with this? Yeah. So you're getting people getting super kicked out of midair and all that sort of cool stuff. I always really like that in these matches because it just feels so smooth and organic mm. rather than we are now heading towards the finish. Um, but they headed towards the finish and the finish was a roll up <laughs> as a main event of a TV show. What do you want? It's, it's not, this wasn't really acceptable on a show that wasn't really acceptable. No, exactly. Very much as we said earlier, the FS1 version of SmackDown this week. But let us know your thoughts on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch there. You can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit. You can follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. And make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. Got the Rampage review and the Raw preview coming later on today. But for now, this has been the SmackDown review. My thanks to Michael Hamlet. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 